we understood that settling in the land does not have to do with a geographical location. It's not a geographical location like, you know, uh, Pastor IBK settled in Atlanta. That's not what we're talking about. All right? What we're talking about is you getting to a point where you are confident in what God has said about you and what God has declared concerning you. When you get to that point, you are settled. You are settled in the land. That's what we mean. And we used Isaac, you know, as the springboard for the, uh, for the topic. But this morning, as I want to continue, I want you to open to first, uh, the book of 3 John. 3 John. 3 John. Are we there? Third John. There's only one chapter in John, in third John. All right, uh, let's start from uh, verse four. Verse four. Look at what John said. Now, at this time, I want you to understand that John has done a lot of work. He has become old. He's now what you call a sage, all right? He's, he's like a spiritual consultant. People go to meet him to get advice and, you know, everything on how things work. But of all the things that he has done, of all the things that God has helped him to do, look at what he said here. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. In other words, nothing excited him more. Remember, there were so many miracles that was done through the hands of this guy. So many revelations that were preached. But he said, of all my accomplishments, everything that I have accomplished, what brings me the greatest joy is that my children whom I have labored for are walking in the truth. What does it mean? What is he talking about? Why is he saying that? What does it, I mean, what, what is it, what does it mean that, what does it mean for them to be walking in the truth? Now, to get a window into what he was talking about, you need to read the epistles, read, you know, the book of, uh, I mean, the letters of Paul, James, um, John himself, Peter, and all of that. You will discover that the early church had a lot of issues. And those issues were addressed in those letters. But of all of them, there was something, there was a thread that was familiar or common to all the apostles that they were dealing with. And that is the fact that believers all over the place were living less than God wanted them to. All right? In other words, the ideal that God had for them God had an ideal for us. You see, he created us in his image. You know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He has given us his nature. That's an ideal. All the ideals that God has given to us, their reality was not matching the ideals of God. In other words, their real life, when you put their real life together and what God wanted them to be or where God wanted them to be, there was a dichotomy. There was a bridge. There was a gap. 
It wasn't matching. In other words, something wasn't working. There was something that was not right. And so when somebody came and told John, the beloved, and said, look, there are brethren over there who have overcome this perennial problem we have in the church. He said this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. My children walk in truth. Because why? The bridge between God's ideal and where you are is the truth. When you walk in truth, you begin to narrow the divide between God's ideal for your life and what the reality of your life is saying. But let's dig into this thing. Let's, let's dig into this thing and let's, let's look at you know, some, some things. Uh, open to John chapter 8. Let's start from verse 30. And if you read uh, Genesis chapter 36, uh, no, 26, you'll find out that, you know, Isaac for a long time lived uh, lower than God's expectation. God told him, I will bless you in this land. But everywhere Isaac went, he was striving. He was fighting until he got to his Rehoboth, where he said, God has actually created a room or given a room for me. God has made a room available for me. All right? So let's look at this. Let's look at what happened. Okay. And he spoke these words. Sorry. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. I wanted to know. Let me give you a background of this, uh, this scripture. Jesus was talking some very, very serious things. Things that made them uncomfortable. Things that made people uncomfortable. And a lot of people have left him. His disciples left him. Some of his disciples. And some, I mean, even his family, they left him. All right? But in spite of all the hard things that he said, there were still some Jews that chose to believe in him. All right? So that's what he's saying. As he spoke these hard words to them, while some people were leaving, some other Jews believed in him. All right, go ahead. 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Remember, he said to the Jews who believed in him. If you abide in my word, and my, and, uh, sorry, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. All right? Keep going until I say stop. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This, this statement should not, be a, it should not be a reason for controversy. Because they were believers. Not believers are saying, you know, getting born again. But they believed in him. They had heard something that was harder than what he just said now. All he just said is continue in my word. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth that you know will set you free. They got offended. Go to 32. And, oh sorry, 33. They answered him. Are we Abraham's descendants? And have... Uh, never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, this statement 
on its own, just on, you know, standing on its own, this statement is, you know, just falls on the face of the truth. Why? Because right when they were saying it, he said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? But we know that they went to, you know, they went to uh, this thing in Egypt. They were taken as slaves to Egypt. All right? We also know that apart from being taken to slaves, they had served the Philistines. They had served all these people, all the nations around them. They have been in bondage to them. Am I correct? And we know that when this statement, when this thing was happening, they were actually under the dominion of the Roman Empire. And yet, they said that we have never been in bondage because we're Abraham's seed. What, are we, what am I trying to say? What am I driving on? What I'm driving on is this, that sometimes the reason why we don't get the ideal of God because Jesus Christ was talking to them about freedom. He was talking to them about another realm of existence, another realm of life. But they were thinking of something different. All right? You know why? Because they have believed a lie. And many times in our lives too, the reason why we don't get to the ideal of God in our lives is that knowingly or unknowingly, advertently or inadvertently, we have come to believe lies. You believe a lie. You believe what they said about you. You believe what you think about yourself. Because in reality, this is not the truth. 34. Verse 34, thank you. And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Go ahead. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Okay? Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. The correlation I want to put here is this. is when we talk about the truth in our own situation, in our own circumstance, we're talking about Jesus being the truth. Jesus being the truth. Jesus being the truth. So, it is obvious that these guys believed in him. All right? But they were at different frequency. They were talking at different frequency. They were talking at different levels. They were not understanding what Jesus was saying. Why? Because they were fixated on Abraham that is fading away. All right? They were fixated on the rules, on the laws of Abraham that was fading away. They were not in this, they were not in the same frequency with him. So when Jesus Christ was talking about the spiritual freedom, they were thinking about physical freedom. When Jesus was talking about redemption, they were thinking about their culture. When Jesus was talking about heavenly things, they were thinking about earthly things. Why? Why? Because they had believed a lie. And the thing about lie is, you know, it's so powerful. Lies are so powerful. No, number one, lies are subtle. All right? They don't come. That's why the Bible says, for wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. They put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the what? The wiles. So when lies come, the lies of the devil, they, they, they are subtle. That's number one. And two, they are powerful and domineering. 
They take total control. Total and complete control. All right. Now, is there a correlation between these guys and us today? I say yes. Because we are believers. We believe in Jesus. If I tell you today, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life? Everybody will raise their hands. Am I correct? If I tell you, did he die on the cross? You say, yes, he died on the cross. If I tell you, do you love Jesus? You say you love Jesus. You believe. However, if I tell you, do you believe everything that Jesus said about you? You believe everything about him, but you don't believe everything he said about you. And until you get to that point where you believe everything that he said about you, you can never bridge that gap of living in the ideals of God. You will live less than what he, wanted, he wants for you. So Jesus, what did he do? Jesus now figured out the problem in verse 37. Verse 37. The reason why, he, you know, he figured out that the reason why they were not talking on the same frequency, they were not on the same level, was one. Verse 37, my word have no place in you. The word of God did not have a place in them. In verse, 40, 40, in verse 41, he said, you are not hearing me. We are not walking on the same frequency. You are not hearing me. You are not hearing God, and because you are not hearing him, his word has not found expression in you. What is said about you is not finding expression in you. It is not finding a place of rest in you. So what do we do about that? Which is where I'm really heading to now. What do we do? How do we bridge this gap? How do we get to a place where the word of God, what he said about you, you begin to believe what he said about you. You begin to, I mean, accept what he said about you. Two things you are going to do. Number one, you have to be in the place where you find yourself in the word of God. What do I mean by finding yourself in the word of God? The word of God actually is a mirror of who you are. The mistake we have always made is to think that the word of God is a place where we can find solution to life's problems. That is the secondary solution. That's the secondary thing. The primary thing about the word of God is that the word of God is primarily a reflection of who you are. James 1.26 tells us. He said, when you look at the word of God, you are looking yourself as in a mirror. You are looking at yourself as in a mirror. In other words, am I saying that the word of God, you should not find solutions to your problem? That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is this. That we have adopted this method and we're looking at the word of God like a self-help material. But the word of God is a book of life. It is not a book of the method of life. You want me to repeat that? 
the word of God is the book of life. It is not a method of the book of life. In other words, the word of God wants you to find yourself. Let me give you an example. Because a lot of times, what we do is that we put the cat before the horse. So, you have a problem with your wife. Or, listen, you go to the word of God. What does the word of God say about my problem? Good question. But wrong approach. I have a problem with my job. What does the word of God say about it? Good question. But wrong approach. The question that you should be looking for is what does the word of God say about me? How do I fit into this situation that the word of God is saying right now? You remember the prodigal son? You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? All right. The Bible says in uh, uh, Luke 15, verse 17, he said when he came to himself, you have to find a place where you come to yourself in the word of God. When he came to himself, in other words, when he figured out who he was, when he discovered who he was and what he was before he came there, when he came to himself, he was able to walk in the solution that was required to resolve his problem. Before then, it was all struggles. He was struggling. He was fighting. He was looking for the solution. He ate with the pigs. He sold his stuff. He did all kinds of things. But immediately he came to himself. said, I know who I am. I need to go back to where I'm coming from and begin to walk and do the things that I need to do. What am I saying in all of this? I'm saying that you need to get to a place where you are finding yourself in the word of God. You are finding yourself. You discover yourself in the word of God because the word of God is supposed to be a mirror. It's supposed to tell you about yourself. Primarily. And when the word of God tells you about yourself, it's easy for you to discover the situation, or I mean the, sol the, 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 the solutions to your situation. Don't make the word of God the solutions to my problems. Why you have solutions in the word of God? God primarily wants you to know who you are, to be who he has made you to be, and to walk in the fullness of what he wants you to do. All right. Uh, you don't know who you are, but what? Sorry, you don't know who you are. You don't know what you are supposed to do, sorry, until you know who you are. Until you know who you are. It's important that you know that. That who you are is predicated upon, I mean, everything that's going to happen in your life is predicated upon who you are. If you don't know who you are, you probably will not get a full grasp of what you're supposed to be doing, of who you, what you're supposed to be doing or where you're supposed to be until you know who you are. And how do you know who you are? You know who you are by going back to the word of God because it is the mirror of your life. When you look at the word of God, it's supposed to reflect you. It's supposed to reflect your image. It's supposed to show you who you are. It's supposed to show you who God has called you or what God has called you and made you to be. So the first one 
find yourself in the word of God. And I want you to know that the word of God is a reflection of you primarily. Secondarily, yes, you can find solutions to your issues and all of that. But primarily, you have to be able to find yourself in the word of God. So when you are reading the word of God, when you're studying the word of God, the questions always should not be first. What is the solution to my problem? The question first should be, what is this saying about me? What is this saying about me? All right? The second one, the second point that I want to share with you this morning is when you find yourself in the word of God, whatever it says, you have to make adjustments to it. You have to make adjustments. Let me predicate that by saying that there's a show on TV that I, you know, I like so much. But I don't watch it anymore. It's been, it's been a long time now. It's called Buried Alive. How many people know that show? Hoarding, Buried Alive. Where you have hoarders. Oh, yeah, I, I love that show. I watch it every time. And the reason is I want to understand human perspective or the human psychology, how the human mind works sometimes. And it amazes you how the human mind works. You find these people who have done very well in their lives at times. You find them, you know, they have had these high-profile jobs sometimes. They have these beautiful homes in beautiful neighborhoods. But when you get in there, those homes are nothing to write home about. Why? Because the owners have valued trash more than treasure. So you see the house filled of filth. They can't live there. And they are so attached to this filth. Attached to the filth that they lose their families. They lose their jobs. They are about losing their homes. They are still attached to it. And when help comes, they fight the people that are helping them. Every time. I mean, every one of them. They fight. Them. And what is there? Old newspapers. Food that they have not eaten for 10 years. Plastic bags. All kinds of things. They just pick trash all over the place. Things that people have discarded is what they value. They bring it, they can't, you can't step anywhere in the house. The houses are so filthy that people who came to help, when they want to step in, they have to go back. And yet, within the context of that field, they are so comfortable and they don't see anything wrong. In other words, the field has taken over their lives, has taken over their homes, it takes over relationships, it puts pressures, you know, does all kinds of things, taking over their health. In fact, many of them are sick. And they're still holding on. You see them crying. You know, when they want to take some things that are unimportant, they are crying. They are so attached to it. And you're wondering, what kind of a mind is this? But do you know, do you know, that sometimes spiritually that's what happens to us? We are supposed to be these high-profile God's people. That God has called. The Bible says he called us with a holy calling. And yet, we're attached to things that are unnecessary. And because we're attached to these things that are unnecessary, they begin to contend against God in our minds. In other words, when God appears, 
he can find no room. Because other things have taken place, have taken over. The compartments of our lives have been taken over. And we can't perceive that God is here with us. And he wants his space. Because it is rightfully his. What am I getting at at this? Here's what I'm getting at. After you find yourself in the world, you need to make adjustments. And the adjustments that you need to make is to know that for God to find room for expression, note, God is with you, he is for you, but he may not be finding expression in you. For him to find expression, other things have to give room for that, especially things in our minds. The Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 10, said, casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, the knowledge of God, you know, cannot find expression because some other things have exalted themselves above the knowledge of God. I have seen, you know, and spoken to people and talked to people that, you know, you tell them this is the word of God. And it does not rhyme with this thing you are talking about. And they tell you, in this situation, in this situation, ah, it's difficult. <laughs> Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why is your mind so important? I'll tell you why your mind is so important. In your spirit, you bear the nature of God. You carry the nature of God. Am I correct? Because you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, the word of God that lives and abides forever. So in your spirit, you bear the nature of God. You bear the image of God. You bear the person of God. All right? So the mark of God, we heard about the mark of God last week. The mark of God is right there in your spirit. However, in your mind, in your mind, you are supposed to bear that image of God because the mind works with images. Imagination. That's why casting down imagination. Your mind works with image. So your spirit bears the mark of God. That's what the Bible tells us in, 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 in uh, I think, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. It said, it said, and we as with open faces are beholding his glory, are, be, are being changed into what? The same image from glory to glory. What is changing? It's not your spirit that's changing. In your spirit, man, it's settled. What is changing? That you are changing into that image. It's your mind. Your mind has to change into the image of God. From glory to glory. As you bear his mind. As we, as we don't, as with open faces, are beholding the face of God. Are being changed or being transformed into his image. In other words, God, the imprint of God's image is being stamped on your life. And as it's been stamped, 
it is increasing and increasing. And guess what? You begin to express what God actually wants you to express. You begin to live the life that he wants you to live. Because what? There is a match or a unity between your spirit and your mind. You have used the word of God to bring a match between your spirit and your mind. All right? What are some of these things that can, it can be anything. It can be, it can be, I mean, anything. But there are certain things I just want to talk about. Some of the things that, you know, look subtle. They look subtle. But those are the things that are really, 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 really fighting. Fighting against the image of God. Because that's what we see in John chapter 8. With all these guys. These guys are actually believed. Remember they believed. One of it is our culture. And too many times we are so attached to our cultures. And sometimes it's not our fault. Somebody say culture is not, does not easily or deliberately give itself or lend itself to change. Except by deliberate actions. So you cannot say, oh, I want to change my culture and then you just say, okay, change me. That's not how culture functions. And the reason, the reason is culture is built on institutions. It is built on symbols. All right? There are institutions, there are symbols, and there are systems that establish cultures. And that's why it is very, very difficult because it is entrenched in us. So it's difficult to begin to see outside the structures, outside the symbols. But the truth about it is, until we get to a place where we know that... Now, I'm not condemning cultures. That's not what I'm condemning. But I'm saying that when your culture clashes with the word of God, you are left with a choice. And the right choice to make is the word of God. Because they have been doing it like this all over the years in your distance does not mean... I mean, that is a recipe for you not following the word of God. In other words... You look at yourself in the word of God. What is the word of God expecting of him? What does it say about me? And what does my culture say? If there's a dichotomy between the two, I would choose to stay with the word of God. It does not matter what anyone says. Because at the, word, at the end of the day, like I told you, the word of God is life. It is the book of life. Your culture does not breed life. The word of God is life. What are the other things we need to look for in our lives? The ways of men, the ways we are used to. And that was the biggest problem that Isaac had. Isaac had the problem. Immediately there was famine. Immediately there was famine in the land. Guess what he did? He was going straight to Egypt like his father did. Because that's what he has seen. His first question was not, God, what do you want? He was going to where? Straight to Egypt. And when God even intervened and told Isaac, he said, stay in this land. Stay there. You know, he did not even wait for God to uh, express himself and, and say, okay, this is what I want you to do. He did not wait for further instruction. You know what he did? 
he went straight to Abimelech. You know why? Because daddy went to Abimelech too. The ways of doing things. And sometimes it's not, I, I don't think it's Isaac's, Isaac's fault. Because if you, if you look at Isaac, which, is not, which I'm trying to say is not some of our faults sometimes too, that we do all those things too. If you look at Isaac, to be honest with you, of all the three patriarchs, Isaac was not a stellar one. He was not stellar. All right? He was the one his daddy has to look for a wife for. All right? You remember the story? His dad had to look for a wife for him. Because he, won't go into, he wasn't going to get married. And his father was like, wow, if I don't do something, this, this covenant will just break here with this boy. You remember that? He was the same guy that was not in control of his household. He was not, you know, he's, I, I, you know, I don't understand how you have two children, you have lived with them, they have, gotten, they have become adults, and yet they were still able to deceive you by just putting the hair there. He was an absentee person. He was not, he was not present. Listen to another thing. He was not stellar. I have not seen, you know, for me, and if you look at the scriptures, you look at everything, Isaac was one of the people who said, give me something before I bless you. It was rightly his, the boy's own. But he said, give me first. But Abraham did not do that to him. His son after him did not do that to him. Give me something. Give me something to eat before I give you. But that wasn't supposed to be it. It was supposed to be a blessing that was transferred. It was a spiritual thing. So the guy was not really a stellar guy. He was a daddy's boy. He depended on daddy all the way. And that's why it was difficult for him to understand God, to hear the voice of God. If you read that story from Genesis 26, you'll find out that where, where were the wells he was going to? The wells that daddy already dug. You see what ways the things that you have learned. You see how they begin to affect you. They begin to go with you. It was daddy's wells. And they went and they strove with him. Immediately they strove with him. He had, never been, he had never been exposed to war. He had never been exposed to difficulty. So what does he do? He just walks away. But thank God because God works all things together for good. While all that was happening, God was also using the same situation to push him to where he actually wanted him to be. Because you know why? He just wanted to be in the plain of Gerar. But that was not where God wanted him to be. God wanted him to be in the valley of Gerar. And how many people like valleys here? Not too many people. Not even in the olden days. Because if you, if you go to a valley, if you lived in a valley in those days, you are just cutting death. Because the enemies will run. That was when they were doing raiding. They were doing all kinds of things. The enemy would just run over you. But God was saying, even though the valley is not where everybody likes, I don't want you to walk by the ways you have walked before. I don't want, the, you know, I don't want you to look at things from the natural standpoint of view. I want you to look at things from what I am saying. Because it is in Gerar that your Rehoboth is. Hallelujah. I mean, sorry, the valley of Gerar. That's where your Rehoboth is. What am I saying to us this afternoon? I'm saying 
that what God has said concerning us, the Bible declares, it is settled forever. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled. But have you settled in what has been settled concerning you? Are you settled in what has been settled concerning you? That's the question. If you have nothing in this, if you, if you didn't pick anything from what I'm saying, I just want you to go home and just think about it. Ask yourself this question. Am I settled in what has been settled concerning me? Because if you are not, you just keep struggling in Gerah and keep fighting and keep struggling and keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting. And for me as a person, when I'm struggling too much about a thing, now I'm not saying that, you know, there's an express, you know, when you're a Christian, you don't face difficulties, you don't face challenges. That's not what I'm talking about. All right? That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that every time there's struggle and strife and all those kind of things, I first of all take a step back and try and figure out what is going on here. Because sometimes, when it is God, it's not supposed to involve too much stress, especially the stress of the flesh, the arm of the flesh. You want to help God to achieve his purpose. You want to help God to get to where God wants you to get to. No. God himself has said that everything he says concerning you, everything he has given to you, everything he has done concerning you, he said it himself that it is settled. We just need to get to a place where our mind is beginning to bear the image and we are beginning to lose the value of the things that are valueless that we have held on for a long time. We need to begin to lose the values that we have placed so much on our culture that has led us to nowhere and begin to place our values more on what God has said concerning us. We need to unlearn the things that we have learned that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of the Almighty God. No wonder Jesus said, uh, if, if finally, let me just close, Jesus uh, Jesus, Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower. He was talking about the same seed that was planted in three different places or four different places. The seeds were planted. Same seed. Same farmer. But different results. Because of, because of what was in the heart. Same seed, same farmer, but different results. And I want to close by telling you that just like Jesus, we have to be able to say, the prince of this world comes and you find none of his in me. And what am I talking about? I'm not even talking about, you know, all these big things. I'm just talking about, you know, the ways that you have been used to. Because if the devil is going to deceive you, he's going to use the ways. The Bible tells us that when you fall into temptation, why are you falling? What's the primary reason why you fall into temptation? You know the primary reason why you fall into temptation? Huh? There's lust. You see, every man is tempted when he's drawn of his own lust. When he's drawn. So what am I saying? 
But I want us to get to a place. I'm telling us this afternoon that God wants us to get to a place where we are finding ourselves in the world consistently. What is God saying about us? And we are aligning ourselves with what God has said concerning us because he has given us exceeding great and precious promises. Let's stand to our feet this afternoon.